It's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. The president plan to serve all eight years. I'm not, I'm just not going to get ahead of the president. That's something for him to decide. Right. You don't want to get ahead of the president. If he's elected, are you going to serve? Uh, that's KJP doing what she does best, uh, being totally ineffective. Uh, Vivek Ramaswamy joins us now. As you know, he's running for president uh, on the GOP side. He's been working extremely hard. Strive Asset Management founder, used to take up all of his time. Author of a brand new book out this week called Capitalist Punishment, How Wall Street is Using Your Money to Create a Country You Didn't Vote For. And Vivek, you told me on Monday... You were writing this book before you knew it ran for president. Yeah, that's exactly right. And I wanted to see that through and put it out. I don't write these books to make money, so I'm actually donating the profits to a nonprofit that's pursuing litigation against the likes of American Express for their woke hiring practices. But here's the deal. Is you don't just vote every November. Okay, you vote every day with your dollars, whether or not you know it. And what these large institutions are doing, like BlackRock, is using your money, probably most of the people listening to this program, to vote for policies in corporate America's boardrooms that, A, most Americans don't agree with, racial equity programs, emissions caps, but that also cause them to make less money. And so what I do in this book is the first step of the solution is you got to see the problem. Once you see it, you can't unsee it. That's so, Vivek, so if, if go to Mr. and Mrs. America listening right now. They make $110,000 a year. They have a financial planner. And do you think that financial planner is saying, I just got to tell you, I'm going to put your, uh, put your money into this mutual fund, and they are not into maximizing profit. They're into public good. How many of – would Mr. and Mrs. America say, perfect, thanks, uh, thanks so much, Don. Uh, I, ho- I hope not to make that much money. They would say, heck no, if they knew. Exactly. Here's, here's the dirty little secret, Brian. Most of those financial planners don't also know it either. So most of these people, even the financial planners at the local – They assume BlackRock is maximizing Yeah, or they're not even thinking about it, right? They're just allocating to these model portfolios. That's what they call them, served up to them. They don't even know that it's a firm that's actually voting the shares this way. So everyone's asleep at the switch, and it's designed to be that way by, for example, the Biden administration. So the Biden Department of Labor passed a rule last year that – Changed the federal rule, which previously said these investment fund managers and retirement fund managers had to invest with the sole objective of making a profit to say that they could take these other factors like climate change into account, what they call benefits other than investment return. That's what their words were. So there was actually a bipartisan bill in Congress supported by Democrats that overturned that Biden rule. Biden's first veto was rejecting that legislation. So what they're doing is that rule used to say they had to at least disclose it to mom and pop. But the final rule that Biden passed, they took out the disclosure requirement because they said that would have a chilling effect on the use of ESG. So what does that tell you? It tells you they're trying to hide it from that mom and pop whose money is in their 401k account or their retirement account is used to force Apple and to force Chevron to adopt racial equity audits and emissions caps without them knowing it. It's like a fraud, Brian. And that's why I actually wrote this book to expose it. So if you think about it, if, I, if we were living in Georgia in 1962, mm-hmm. where Jim Crow was in place and there were white and black water fountains and you got to get if you're black, you go to the back of the bus and the mm-hmm. Rosa Parks situation. I could see a situation where if you were a wealth manager saying, guys, if you're going to subscribe 
to what's going on here, this racial injustice, this is this flagrant. I could see, I'll make people aware, but I could see I'm probably not going to invest in there. I'm not okay with that. But when you talk about uh, a this green mission, this green, uh, this green, I think Agenda. it's a religion. It's a religion. I, it's a religion it's a cult. that's out there, and you're taking my money, and you keep it away from oil and gas when they're working hard on emissions, and they they are being responsible, being responsible custodians of the country. And though it's in our best interest not to actually have an electric car, you could actually make that argument. Then we're into the nuance of it. This is not 1960. It's certainly not 1860. Yeah, and the way I look at it, Brian, is if you want with your own money to advance a social or political or environmental agenda. Tell me. It's a, and it's a free country, so yeah. you can do it with your own money. But you can't do it with what I call OPM, other people's money. Without okay. telling them. Without telling them and without getting their express consent. And so the first step is knowledge. I call the book Capitalist Punishment right. for a reason because it is in the name of capitalism. They're actually punishing capitalism itself. And what I like to do is I think you have to message people you got to compete. Yes. So you don't – you're not going to win every time, mm-hmm. but you got to compete. I'm going to go out there. I'm going to try to get that job. I'm going to work those extra hours and try to get that promotion. If you don't get that promotion, life isn't terrible. America isn't awful. You got to figure out a way to get it the next time. So That's there's right. got to be glory in the effort. That's right. And not only in sports, but in life. In capitalism, in sports, in life, hardship is not the same thing as victimhood. Right. We live in a moment where we say, if you go through some hardship, now you're a victim. No, I reject that. And you get, can be a victor instead. And think about this: what they just introduced. I found out about it on Monday. This whole mortgage leveler. <laughs> so so you're working hard. You, you're making good money. You make sure your credit's great. If you have $100 on your Amex, you pay it off. Your credit's great. You have your 15% down payment. You're about to buy your house. And then your mortgage broker says, well, there's now a 14% fee because there's people out there who can't afford their down payment and don't have good credit. This is going to them. Have I correctly described the Biden mortgage plan? I think you actually have. And the, it's just one other example of how the equity agenda turns everything upside down. You work hard and get ahead. Nope. You're actually at the bottom of the pyramid. They're going to purposefully make it work in the other direction. You took a student loan out. You're actually the person who worked hard to pay it back. Well, why'd you bother doing that? Because we're going to forgive it on the back end anyway. I think that's really what's going on, even with the climate agenda, Brian, is that the U.S. got so far ahead of places like China that we apply these emissions caps over here to now let China catch up, even though it's in the name of climate change. So it's this pattern we see of turning everything that makes sense upside down in the name of this agenda of global equity, whether it's within our country or on the global stage. That's what we see. So you're running because you're optimistic about the country. You I have am. a vision. Yes. And at 37, correct? Mm-hmm. 37. That, that it's easy to say. That's your approach. You know, the other person who's speaking a lot like that is Tim Scott. And he's not quite in yet. He's talking about the vision and, and what he's experienced. This president made it pretty clear. He's running and he wants to win because he's not Donald Trump. That's it. He has no vision. This None. is He starts with January 6th with the video and talks about how bad it was and we got to cleanse the soul of America. And then when asked, can you – the simplest question in the world by somebody who got hired to check the box, KJP, please don't tell me she's qualified. She can't answer the question, would the president serve out his term? What, what easier question is there in life? 
So, look, Biden is a puppet. Let's just call that for what it is. The rest of it starts to make sense. So she can't even ask Joe Biden what his intention is because his intention isn't the one that matters. It's that of the managerial class that's using him as a stooge, as a front man to advance their agenda. And once you see that, everything else starts to make sense. But I do think that a lot of young Democrats, we're starting to see this in the surveys, Brian, are disaffected with Biden. I think, look, as I'm the first millennial. 74%, 18 to 34s do not want him to run. Yeah, you saw that too. You're all over it. That's exactly right. I think we can, I'm traveling college campuses across this country. And I'll tell you what I see, Brian. I see a generation of Americans who are hungry for a cause, for purpose, and for meaning. That word, purpose. Purpose. They're hungry for purpose. We can give that to them by offering a vision of our own. That's what I'm doing in this race, Brian. And, and frankly, it's easy to criticize Biden. We've got to look ourselves in the mirror and just say as Biden's complaining about Trump, we can't just be a Republican Party that's complaining about Biden. We have to have a vision of our own. And I'm the first millennial ever to run for U.S. president as a Republican, by the way. I have full confidence that I'm seeing it on the ground as I travel this country. We can bring that next generation along with us if we bring some actual vision to the table. That's what I'm doing in this race. Right. And I know that, too, like when you go into the inner cities in the the black community – they say, oh, we don't even see Republicans. Mm-hmm. You know, they don't come by. So, and I've talked to other people on Long Island, for example. I go, guys, does anyone, are you trying to win New York? Are you trying? And, and they say, yeah, we'll go into the black community. And they, uh, the, with the reception they get is kind. Mm-hmm. But we're, we feel like we're selling out our, our race when we go with Republicans, which is crazy. Historically, it's the exact opposite. Totally. But in, of late, that's the way people have been voting. I think it could change. I mean, I spoke to an all-black church in South Carolina last time I was there in a rural community. I'm told it was mostly left-leaning or Democrat, but that didn't matter. They were applauding for the message of actually empowerment. I told them about how I went to a racially diverse. It was close to a majority black public, uh, public school through eighth grade. There isn't a single one of those black kids, Brian, who couldn't have achieved everything that I have in my life if they had been given the actual privilege that I had. That wasn't money. I didn't grow up in money. It was two parents in the house with a focus on education. And you want to know what the majority of black kids, over 70% of black kids in this country before the 1960s or in the 1960s were born into two-parent households. Lyndon Johnson's Great Society, designed to help black Americans supposedly, actually reversed that trend. Now it's fewer than 30 percent in the other direction because the government gave them those financial incentives. That's what's happening. And then what I do, it frustrates people when they say, well, the black family broke down or the American family's breaking down because you can't do anything about it. What you could do about it immediately is stuff like charter schools. Yeah. And a lot lot of them, there's mentor programs within those charter schools and discipline and demands within it from dress code on down and scholarships that might be available. And just to see teachers unions in New York, especially push back against that. I'm like, how could you be in the teaching business and care about kids and not want to put them in a situation that's so comprehensive and effective as that? But I want you on this note before I let go of Joe Biden and him running again. Dan Pfeiffer, a key aide to uh, President Obama uh, during his years, now he's got a podcast, said this about the candidacy and the age of Joe Biden. Cut 14. You can't avoid it. it. Joe Biden's age is an absolutely legitimate question that has to be answered in this election. It should be. The salience of that question is going to depend on two things. One, how old the Republican nominee is. If it is Donald Trump, who is, I think, a relatively aged 76-year-old, I think the the question of Biden's age goes down. And it's how he handles himself on the campaign trail. And if he handles himself on the campaign trail over the next two years, like he has in the White House over the next four years, he will easily meet the threshold the American people want. And so you can't run away from it. The only way to get there is not around, it's through. Your 
his your your assessment of his assessment. Well, I like the I like the last part. So the only way to get is, get done is through. I, I just think we have to. I think we have to take a step back and understand that the real division in this country that I see, Brian, is not between Republicans and Democrats. Okay, I think that's artificial today. Right. I think it is between the managerial class and the everyday citizen, between those of us who are pro-American, right, stand for this country and its ideals, and those who are anti-American, and that exists in this country. But we view it that way. It's not 50-50 anymore. It's 80-20 in this country in our favor. I think that means we can deliver a landslide election mm-hmm. in 2024 like Ronald Reagan did in 1980. That's the opportunity that I see, and I think we've just got to keep our eye on that ball. I'm in this race to deliver it. When we come back, your brawl, uh, not ball, with Don <laughs> Lemon. You're listening to The Brian Kilmeade Show. Vivek Ramaswamy with us. Don't move. Educating. Entertaining. Enlightening. You're with Brian Kilmeade. From his mouth to your ears, it's Brian Kilmeade. I don't really see what one has to do with the other, especially consider and using the Civil War to talk about black Americans. That war was not fought for black people to have guns. That's 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 not that war was fought for black people to have freedoms in this country. Yeah. Actually, that's why the Civil War was fought. OK, and the sad that part wasn't about fought it for, for black people to have guns, I think. Actually, you know, a funny fact is black people did not get to enjoy the other freedoms until their Second Amendment rights were secured. And I think that that's one of the lessons that we learned. people aren't allowed to enjoy the freedoms. I disagree with you on that, Don. I disagree with you. And I think you're doing a disservice to our country by failing to recognize the fact that we have equality before the law. And you live in this country, then you can disagree with me. But we're not. And that was a little of the meltdown that uh, that and the and the uh, the brawl that went on with Don Lemon and Vivek Ramaswamy, and I have a job at that time, so I missed it, but I saw it was everywhere. Vivek, bring us back to that moment in studio. So I went. I make a point of this, Brian. I like to go to the other side's turf, have the open debate, and to win, and I find that that's good for our movement, so I, I agreed to do that with the hosts on CNN's morning show, and what happened with Don Lemon was there was two points I was making, and it was an interesting fact about history. It's not a partisan point. It's just true that after the Civil War, actually, you know what? stop black Americans from having their rights secured and led to Jim Crow was that they didn't give them the Second Amendment rights. And this was actually a top objective even before the Civil War, the Dred Scott case, which said black people couldn't be citizens. The chief justice of the Supreme Court said the number one reason why was that that would allow black people to have guns. So this was a real fact of history that doesn't often get taught. So they pulled a clip of my speech at the NRA where I said this on stage, and then they asked me, isn't that false what you said? I said, no, it's not, and I laid out that history. That made Don Lemon's head explode because to him, civil rights are good. Second Amendment is bad. And so the fact that those two are actually linked to one another sent him into tailspin. So he really became a whirling dervish. He came for me. He was yelling at his producers in his own ear literally during the segment. He wouldn't let his co-host Poppy get in there. And so, I I, look, I was trying to be as calm as I could, state the facts, win the debate – I think that that actually was the final straw that ended up breaking the camel's back and CNN ousted him just a few days later. What was it like afterwards? It was very awkward, to be honest, to be honest. It was like it was like Larry David. You know, Larry, it's, it's like an episode of Larry David. It was like the end Curb of your where, enthusiasm. Yeah, it's like Curb Your Enthusiasm where the music comes on at the end of the show. That's kind of how it felt. And Poppy, I have to say, who's his co-host, she, very decent, right? She was very civil, uh, very polite, and also more importantly than polite, she's interested in actual diverse views and open debate. So i got to give credit where credit's due. 
But Don was having none of it. He doesn't – he's not cared about debate. He cares about advancing his racial agenda. And I think that America's done with that. We're moving on beyond it, and I think it's a good decision. That's I, I want to it. talk about race. I have no, no objection for it, but we just have to acknowledge how far we've come, and we're the most successful multicultural country in the history of the world. Mm-hmm. But yes, that, we are. Yeah, but there's no doubt about it. I just want to share with the audience with this. Because last night when we went to bed, it looked as though Kevin McCarthy did not have the votes to pass this deal to raise the debt ceiling and at least get in the same room with the president of the United States, let him reject it. Now House Republicans are meeting behind closed doors in the conference mission. Uh, He goes, we'll see after this. There's optimism. McCarthy was reluctant to change the bill and give in to the so-called corn caucus on ethanol. Uh, and raising the debt ceiling, he wants to put a work requirement into welfare. 25 days, uh, Matt Gates says, I want 30. Uh, he doesn't even want to change that. He wants to, he could only lose four votes. But there is optimism in the Republican caucus that they'll have a vote. They won't put the vote out unless it'll pass. And then there's going to be pressure on President, uh, uh, President Biden to meet with Kevin McCarthy. Your feeling on this? So, look, I'd reject this idea that the debt ceiling is just some sort of ministerial exercise we're just supposed to automatically go through the motions and raise it exists for a reason it's supposed to prompt dialogue about how we exercise more discipline as a country so i think this is great i think that the republicans should use this as an opportunity to do some of the homework we haven't done as a country to rein in a lot of these government excesses but i also think brian is gdp growth is something we've forgotten and i think we need to be talking about that more that we can grow our way out of our problems this is a catalyst to help do that we all got to work out this together and lastly president trump posted on truth social indications that he's not comfortable necessarily debating under these current rules he wants to know the moderator location and venue I'd say don't be Biden, man. I, I, I respect President Trump. He did great on the debate stage in 2015. I'm the outsider in this race. I've said this is the beginning, Biden, about, about Brian, about uh, the other candidates. They're not going to relish being on the debate stage with me. But that's going to make our party better. It's going to make our country better. It's going to make our movement better. We can't you be like You think he's Democrats. afraid of you? I think everybody on that stage is afraid of me. I think Trump's not going to enjoy debating me, but we're going to do it. This is Jimmy Fallon, inviting you to join me for Fox Across America, where we'll discuss every single one of the Democrats' dumb ideas. Just kidding. It's only a three-hour show. Listen live at noon Eastern or get the podcast at foxacrossamerica.com. Listen to the show ad-free on Fox News Podcast Plus, on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music with your Prime membership, or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.